Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 67. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. In this session, I have kind of a final reflection on Peter, and then we'll look at an introduction to the book of Acts and hopefully get uh, through Acts chapter 1. So thinking about Peter, as you know, he denied Christ three times, and then three times Jesus on the shore of Tiberias told Peter, feed my sheep. So do you suppose that Peter's failure, that is his denial of Christ three times, made him perhaps a better leader for the church, a better first pope, if you will, for the church? I think so. I think we learn more from our failures, from our successes. I think that Peter could be a little more sympathetic. And in one of his letters, he refers to, you know, humility, you know, you must be humble. I think Peter needed to be humbled a little bit. And he certainly was uh, through his, uh, through his denial of Christ and understanding how he had failed. And uh, so I hope in our own lives, we don't recognize failure as final. Um, failure is, is, is never uh, final as long as you uh, come back to the, uh, to the Lord. And that's what Peter did. So I, I think it made him more sympathetic. Uh, can you imagine going to confession, let's say, with Peter? And uh, you tell him how you failed Jesus that week. And Peter will say, well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, I'm forever known as the guy who denied Jesus not once, not twice, not three times, or but three times. And yet uh, Jesus was able to uh, use me as, uh, you know, the, the, the leader of the church and uh, to feed the church, uh, feed the sheep, if you will. Okay. Now we'll move on to uh, the book of Acts, uh, just some basic information about it so that you get a, uh, a sense of the book of Acts. Um, so the book of Acts was written by Luke or attributed to Luke, the same Luke who wrote uh, the gospel of Luke. And it's kind of a continuation, if you will, of that gospel. It was probably written around 63 AD, though there are some scholars who date it as late as 80 to 90 AD. But um, I personally feel like it was probably written around 63 AD. Why do I think that? Uh, well, first of all, there's no reference to Rome burning. That happened in 70 AD, so it would have happened before that. And um, uh, actually, Rome burned, I think, in uh, 64. Or, well, anyway, uh, Paul was martyred, we think, um, which was around 64 AD. So there's no reference to Paul being martyred, though there is, of course, quite a few, uh, you know, a, a lot of Luke's gospel is about Paul's travels and that sort of thing. Um, so again, uh, the book of Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It kind of picks up where the Gospel of Luke left off. So it's a second volume of a story that it, it really has no end. It's a story of the church, and the, the church will go on until the end of time. 
as we know it. The Gospel of Luke was the story of what Jesus began to do and teach, and the book of Acts continues the work of Christ through his followers. The book of Acts is kind of a travelogue, especially the second half of it, which deals with Paul's missionary journeys. So if you like travelogues, book of Acts is for you. To me, uh, the book of Acts is perhaps the most inspirational book of the New Testament, as it shows how God uses even the trials and tribulations of the principal characters to further the, uh, the, the work of, uh, of, of God through that. Um, Acts could perhaps better be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit as opposed to the Acts of the Apostles uh, because we see the Holy Spirit change the lives of Jesus' followers and give them a passionate fire to spread the gospel throughout the known world. We didn't see that passion in the Apostles in the Gospels, primarily because they had not experienced the resurrected Christ. And it's my hope that we all experience the resurrected Christ, and especially as we receive the Eucharist, uh, we recognize that Jesus is resurrected and he is present today, which should get us very excited. Um, uh, the risen Christ acts, if you will, through his spirit-filled disciples. And Acts shows the triumph of Christianity despite and perhaps because of the persecutions of the principal characters, Peter, Paul, etc. A church historian, Tertullian, years later would say, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Um, Acts, the book of Acts, even though the technical name is the book uh, Acts of the Apostles, it could also more aptly be called the Acts of some Apostles, because after listing them in chapter 1, most of them are never mentioned again as individuals. So does that mean that the other Apostles didn't uh, do anything as individuals? Of course not. We know that Thomas went to India and established a faith community there. We know that Mark went to Egypt and established a faith community there. You're not going to read these things in the Bible. Why? Because they're not in there. Okay. There's a lot of the history of early Christianity that doesn't make it into the Bible. Uh, but we have our, our traditions none, nonetheless. So uh, while, while the Bible is all true for the sake of our salvation, we, uh, we recognize that there is truth outside the Bible that adds to our faith uh, tradition. So, uh, okay, so enough about an introduction to Acts. Let's get into the book itself. So unless you're driving, turn to Acts chapter 1. And um, I, uh, Luke starts out chapter 1 of Acts, kind of the way he starts out um, the uh, his gospel of Luke. Uh, it's written to this person, perhaps a person, Theophilus. Theophilus is one who is a, a lover of, of God. So maybe that's, uh, 
you know, maybe that's symbolic or maybe there's actually somebody that, uh, there who, uh, you know, is named Theophilus. In the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up. Okay, taken up, that is to say resurrected. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit. Remember I said this could be called the gospel of the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, so perhaps a little controversy there, right? Because Luke's own gospel says that Jesus rose on the third day, and yet here in his follow-up, he talks, uh, you know, 40 days after the resurrection that Jesus is still appearing to them. So how do we reconcile this? Well, first of all, no church writer until the fourth century says that Jesus' ascension into heaven occurred at any time other than Easter Sunday. So that's point number one. Secondly, I think it's important to note that the number 40 in all throughout the Bible is highly symbolic in Scripture for a time of testing and preparation. Uh, whenever you see the number 40, it's always a time of preparation. You see the flood lasted 40 years as man is being prepared to start over again. The Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years preparing to enter the promised line, uh, promised land. Moses on Mount Sinai for 40 days to receive the Lord, the, the law, rather. Uh, the Lord himself fasted for 40 days. And uh, so now the apostles are preparing for their ministry, and this is probably symbolic of that. Okay, so if you run into somebody who says, I don't believe the Bible because there's two different uh, ideas of when Jesus was uh, uh, ascended, um, try, try that out. Hey, 40 was a symbolic reference for a time of preparation as this new church is about to uh, take, take hold. Now we see the uh, ascension of, oh, wait a minute. Uh, verse four, when meeting with them, he enjoyed that Jesus enjoyed and joined them not to depart from Jerusalem. Okay, so they're supposed to stay in Jerusalem. John's gospel has the final appearance in uh, Galilee, which is three days uh, walk north of there. But again, we said um, that John is not so concerned with 21st century ideas of uh, you know, historic accuracy. John's is more of a symbolic gospel there. So we don't let that get in the way, right? Okay. Don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father about which you have heard me speak. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's that Holy Spirit again. So they haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit yet. 
Verse 6, when they had gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, two ways to look at that. Did they mean, Lord, are you going to destroy all those Romans and uh, resurrect the kingdom of Israel? They could have meant it that way, and maybe some of them did. Or, hey, is this the end time? End of times? Are you then going to come back now and, uh, you know, as, as a man and, uh, and rule uh, the world there. You know, is this going to be the end of the world? He says, hey, it's not for you to know the times or season that the Father has established by his own authority. So, by the way, if you hear any more predictions about some prophet saying the world's going to end on, you know, May 16th, uh, 2022 or something, don't listen to him. Because if you say you know, then you absolutely don't know. And it's right there in Scripture. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the, you guessed it, Holy Spirit, I want you to circle Holy Spirit the first uh, three times that you see it in the first eight verses. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And this is going to be, kind of sets the tone for the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So underline Jerusalem and write uh, chapters 1 through 7 of Acts. That's where the witness is in Jerusalem. And then through Judea and Samaria, uh, separately underline that. And that's in your margins, write chapters 8 through 12. Okay, and to the ends of the earth, underline to the ends of the earth. And that's from chapter 13 on. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him from their sight. Uh, is that a little detail that just uh, a coincidence happened to be in there? No. Uh, if you look back at Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel chapter 21, verse 27, we will see that uh, Jesus predicts the Son of Man will be coming again in a cloud. So you might want to circle cloud and write Luke 21, 27 next to that. Jesus is going to be coming again in a cloud. Um, also in your margins, you might want to reference uh, Revelation 14, 14, where it says that Jesus will be seated on a, you guessed it, cloud like a son of man, you know, in, in heaven there. So there's some rich symbolism here. And then we see two men dressed in white garments, you know, probably angels stood beside them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will return in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven and uh, so you might want to write uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4 there. Uh, excuse me. Um, you'll in, next in verse, hmm, in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Uh, underline mount, Calivet, mount called Olivet in verse uh, 12. And there in the margins write Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, because it is said that when Jesus comes back, he will return on the Mount of Olives, you know, in the final day of the final judgment, right? Okay, now 
uh, here is the here is the one thing that all the Protestant churches that I used to belong to agreed on when we would get to our own study of the Book of Acts. They all wanted to be like this first community in Jerusalem that was described, the first uh, first community in church. It says that they went to the upper room where they were staying, and there's all of the guys mentioned there, and the, um, so. They all devote, devoted themselves with one accord. So that's why we know what, what the apostles' favorite car was, right? It was an accord. And uh, prayer, together with some women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And, and says there's about 120 people in one place. So if you believe brothers in the sense that we in the Western world believe brothers, I guess there was a, Jesus must have had a whole lot of brothers, right? Or is there perhaps another, um, you know, another idea of the word brothers? Also, look who's there, Mary. So if you're a Protestant, you say, why this devotion to Mary? You know, she wasn't mentioned much in the Bible, but yet she's married at all. She is mentioned at all the key moments in the life of Christ and in his church. She's there at the beginning of the church there, right? So we got a little problem here uh, coming next from verse 15 and on. They, uh, they're missing one disciple, right? And it's Judas, because he, he has uh, hanged himself. And if you want to read about that controversy, uh, go back to the, you know, where, where there, there is some controversy about how, how, uh, how Judas died. And I explained that a lot already. Uh, in Matthew's account where it says Judas hanged himself. So we're not going to spend any more time on that because we already covered it. Okay, but they have to pick another disciple. And in the interest of time, we see in verse 23 that that's a man named Matthias. But how did they go about picking the disciple? Did they go by the Bible alone, you know, some Old Testament way of, of picking uh, uh, successors to uh, leaders in the faith community? No. Well, they actually, uh, they actually cast lots uh, to choose this last person. We believe that they were probably guided by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit hasn't come on them yet. He will in chapter 2. So this is what they chose to do. Peter, by the way, is the one who says, you know, let's uh, let's catch lots for it. And uh, so uh, they we, we see that. And uh, I believe we see Peter in charge of this thing. Uh, yes, Peter says, hey, we got to choose somebody else. He says that um, in verse... Uh, let's see, 15, 16 of this first chapter. And then he goes ahead and does it. So he doesn't go by the Bible alone to make decisions, and he doesn't have to. Why? Because Peter uh, is has been given the keys to the kingdom and the power to bind and loose. And this is his first executive decision, so to speak, to go ahead and do that. Um, now, in the future, they won't cast lots before they make decisions because we will see in the next chapter, this is where the Holy Spirit in chapter 2 will come on the church, and this is where they really uh, catch fire, if you will. 
So uh, I'd like to catch fire with this uh, Acts chapter 2 now, but we're about out of time. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for sending us this Holy Spirit which you promised will guide your church into all truth on matters of faith and morals. We thank you that Mary was there also uh, at all of the key moments in Christ's life and also we see at the beginning of the church there. And uh, we thank you that your church will uh, will survive and prosper in spite of all the persecutions and in spite of all the bad things that uh, have happened throughout the course of the last 2,000 years. Um, we thank you for this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit again. Amen, I should say. Uh, but come back again uh, next time as we look at chapter 2. And this, some would argue, is the actual formal uh, beginning of the church with uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So uh, until next time, come back and uh, see us again. And um, we look forward to your joining us again on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study.